I grew up in a very colorful and diverse family and church. My, uh, my parents both had, had prior marriages before they got married and had me, and so there was some family dynamics that added into kind of this colorful and diverse family background. And then because my dad had priorly been divorced, he felt called into ministry, but he couldn't find a ministry job. So he was looking to get into ministry in a, in a time when there were, there were a lot of rules, well, there still are, depending on what church, what denomination, where you grew up in, there were a lot of rules around what it meant to be a pastor. And because my dad had been divorced, him and my mom could not find a pathway for them to fulfill their calling. They wanted to be missionaries, and they were considering moving to a different country, but the doors kept shutting there. And eventually, this, this little ministry in downtown Minneapolis decided that they would take a chance on my dad and allow him to kind of help shape their ministry and form their ministry. So my first church experience was in this like storefront, small little building in downtown Minneapolis, mostly working with homeless people. My favorite part of it was that we had day-old donuts. And so every Sunday, I would just crush the day-old, don- day-old donuts. Here at Park, we have day-old Panera. Step up from day-old donuts. Panera, Panera, I've tested this theory. Panera travels better. It lasts a little bit longer than day-old donuts that I grew up on. But that's my, that's my memory of church is like these, these homeless people coming in and out. Some of you probably have kids with you, like young infants here, and they may make some noise during the service, and you may be concerned about that about it distracting me or those around you, don't worry about it distracting me. I remember a time when a guy pulled out a gun and ran through our church service chasing somebody. Literally, that's, that happened when I was like five. Um, one of my first church memories. Um, and so I grew up in this colorful and diverse experience of church. And it was there that I learned to love Jesus and to follow him. And, and I didn't have a lot of questions about theology or what it meant to be a pastor or what my expectations of church should be. I just knew that I was around people who were striving to love Jesus and walk with him together. And from my earliest memories, I remember being fascinated with the disciples. That, that there's something about them that I connect with, that I relate with, and I want to follow Jesus in the same way that they follow Jesus. And, and throughout time, I don't know when exactly this shift happened, but that color, that diversity that I had growing up kind of started to, started to dwindle. And, and, and as I continued to follow Jesus, and eventually I felt called into ministry myself, into pastoral ministry, the, the colors that were painted for me, they became... They, they be, began to become a little more black and white. It was, like, it was like pastors that I listened to, and probably when I went to Bible college and seminaries when it happened, I started to lose some of my color. And there was so much black and white. It's like people were teaching me to draw the black lines on the white paper, right? And stay within these lines. Stay within these bounds. When you, when you color, you want to color within the lines. And it's like over and over and over again, people were defining for me what the lines were to being a Christian, what it meant to be a pastor. And all of a sudden, the theological started becoming more important than the relational. And the, the professional as I'm called to be a pastor, people would say, well, you're, you're a pastor now. And so the professional role of pastor, that seemed to become more important than the practical role of pastor. Or, or, or the national influence, the national voices, the national teachings and conferences and podcasts and blogs and sermons became more important than the local. Somewhere along the line that happened, and I, and I began to lose sight of the local and the practical and the relational And this summer, as I was on sabbatical, I spent a lot of time reading the Gospels and rediscovering my fascination with the disciples. 
One of the things that I love about the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, is that they lived colorful and diverse lives. They weren't just tracing the same old lines over and over again, saying, here are the bounds, here's what it means to follow Jesus, here's what you have to believe, here's what you have to do. These people were all over the map of cultural backgrounds, of different languages, different influences, different thoughts, and they, they learned to walk with Jesus together. And so that's kind of what inspired me this fall to just look at the disciples in our sermon series together, to bring some color back to the church, to, to, to fill in those black and white lines, right? And there's a time and a place to draw some lines, to make some definitions, to, to make things a little bit black and white, right? But man, we need color. We need diversity of thought, of background, of skin color, of experience, of life wisdom and life stage. I think all of us desire that, all of us long for that, and as we do, I think looking at the disciples is a great way to bring some color back into the church. Last week, we looked at Doubting Thomas, and we majored on doubt and disappointment and what it looks like to walk with Jesus, with Jesus through seasons of doubt and disappointment. And now this week, we're going to look at Mary Magdalene, and we're going to see that disciples walk with Jesus. And I forgot the clicker, so if you could uh, hit the slides for me, that would be amazing. We'll go to the next slide now. Um, This week, we're going to see that Mary Magdalene, she is a disciple who walks with Jesus by receiving his healing and responding with devotion and declaration. So last week, we focused on doubting Thomas and, and talked about that in our walk with Jesus, many times we have seasons of doubt and disappointment. And that's just true for all of us. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian forever, maybe you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that in your walk with Jesus, there will be seasons that doubt and disappointment overwhelm you. They define you. But also in this walk with Jesus, there's seasons where you've you have received or you are receiving healing and you're responding with a ton of devotion and and declaration. And that's what we're going to see in Mary this morning, Mary Magdalene. And so if you could look at Luke chapter 8 with me, we're going to look at three different passages to discover how Mary walked with Jesus by receiving his healing and responding with devotion and declaration. Let's start by looking at her receiving his healing. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. And Jesus has just um, had this amazing story where he forgave a woman who a lot of people were trying to condemn. We pick it up in verse 8 here. It says, Soon after, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. That's the twelve apostles. Some of the disciples who we've talked about in this sermon series, but we're also branching out of the twelve more known apostles, and we're looking at some of the lesser known figures in Scripture because you and I are lesser known figures walking with Jesus. And I think we can learn a lot from the, from the people in the margins of society, in the margins of Scripture. So Dr. Luke tells us the twelve were with him, the twelve apostles, verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Here's one of the realities for us in our journey of discipleship in walking with Jesus One of the initial steps of becoming a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus is to receive his healing, to receive his transformation, to receive his gospel, his good news. That's one of the initial steps, but it's also one of the ongoing steps. And what we see throughout the scriptures as we study all the disciples, there was this initial response to Jesus. Jesus. 
That part of following Jesus meant receiving his invitation or his healing touch. Many of the disciples, they were fishermen, they were carpenters, they were common people. Here we have Mary Magdalene who was demon-possessed. And somehow she had this encounter with Jesus where she received God's grace, his undeserved favor through the person of Jesus Christ. She received healing. Verse 2, it says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. What I, what I want to keep in mind as we consider Mary Magdalene this morning is that she was somebody who was in desperate need to receive healing from Jesus. Just like all of us, everybody in the scriptures who encounters Jesus is healed in some way, shape, or form. Every one of us who would walk with Jesus today were healed in some way, shape, or form. For Mary, this meant, this meant having seven demons exercised from her. Incredible, right? Jesus came, he tells us that he came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, to set us free. He says earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, that he came to set captives free, to restore sight to the blind. This is part of Jesus' ministry and mission, is to bring healing wherever he's proclaimed. Wherever, wherever there's groups of people striving to follow after him and live their lives in surrender and submission to him, Jesus is bringing healing. Here he brings this dramatic healing to Mary. You and I may not have received a dramatic healing like Mary. I mean, maybe. I've heard stories of people who have been healed from demons. I've encountered some people who have had some demon interaction and prayed with them and, 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 and warred for their souls and for their deliverance, for their healing. Some of you in this very gathering may understand what it's like to, to be possessed or to be tormented by demonic influences and how desperate you are for the healing touch of Jesus. And Maybe you've tried many different ways and what we need to keep in mind is that Jesus comes to set his people free. Here for Mary, it, it seems like there was this dramatic deliverance and there's a lot of speculation about Mary Magdalene like both by Christians reading the scriptures, trying to fill in some of the gaps of who Mary was, and also non-Christians. There's a ton of theories about Mary Magdalene's life and what she was involved in, and we don't know. Most of it's speculation. What we do know is that she was demon-possessed. She had seven demons, and Jesus came, and he set her free. He healed her. And what I want to keep in mind for us this morning is that regardless of your story of receiving Jesus' healing, this Greek word here for healed in verse 2 it's therapeo, which is where we get our word therapy from. See, there's a, there's a time and a place for like dramatic kind of deliverance healing, being set free, completely liberated from something. It, and Mary seems to have had one of those type of inter- encounters with Jesus. Where Jesus put his foot down and with authority said, no more. These, these demons have no authority, no right in Mary. She is my child. Be free. But in Mary's walk with Jesus, she had to continually come to him to receive his healing. That word, that Dr. Luke, we don't know exactly what kind of doctor Luke was, but church history tells us that Luke, who wrote this gospel, was a doctor. The word that he uses there for healing is the root word that we get for therapy. For a therapeutic touch, a therapeutic 
remedy, a natural remedy, sometimes mixed with a supernatural solution. What we have to keep in mind is that our healing, our receiving from Jesus is multifaceted. As these women are walking with Jesus, he's healing them of their evil spirits and their sicknesses, their diseases, their weakness. This involves mental illness. This involves physical weakness. This involves demonic possession. The biblical terms for the things that ail God's creation is is that our enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Mary and these women following Jesus, as well as the other disciples that we've talked about, and you and I, we are afflicted in our soul by the world, by our own flesh, and by the devil. Here Mary, Mary receives healing from the devil, the demonic influence of seven demons, but part of this healing process that you and I need to continually receive from Jesus is this therapeutic, this, this holistic reality of dealing with the effects of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That includes like miraculous touches from Jesus in his body. It involves going to see a counselor or a therapist. Again, this is where we get the word, this word healed. It comes straight from the word that we use for therapy. Doctors, counselors, therapists, pastors, community, community group leaders, friends, this is all part of our process of receiving from Jesus his healing touch. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you need to remember and celebrate past healing? Like in your current walk with Jesus, do you need to remember and celebrate past healing or do you need to seek present healing from the effects of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Part of what we do when we gather together at Park is to try and stimulate our hearts and our minds in our following of Jesus and to assess our own souls. And so one of the questions that I think helps us to assess the current state of our soul and our current walk with Jesus is is this. Am I in a a funk right now in life, in my walk with Jesus, because I've forgotten what he's done? Maybe you just need to spend some time remembering how he has healed you over the years, how Jesus has brought victory to different sins, maybe how he's delivered you from certain things, and maybe how he's just grown you up in certain ways, how he has set you free from sickness and evil spirits and diseases from the effects of the world, the flesh, or the devil. Or maybe right now in this moment of your walk with Jesus, you need to seek present healing. Spend some time assessing your own soul. How, how, how has maybe sickness and, and, and mental health and physical health and even maybe some demonic activity in my life, how has it been influenced and thrust upon me by the influence of the world? What, what am I taking in? What am I listening to? What am I absorbing that isn't producing in me a healthy walk with Jesus? What about my flesh? What are the cravings of my flesh? The things that I just, I want to have because they give me comfort, they give me me joy, they give me momentary satisfaction, they give me instant gratification, but they don't necessarily produce long-term gratification. Maybe I I, I need to seek some healing in those areas. What's it going to take for me to receive that healing and to walk through a process of healing, of being set free the way that Mary 
was set free by Jesus. Or maybe the devil. Maybe there's just demonic, evil influences in my life and I need to continue to surrender it to Jesus and I need to get some people around me who can call it out and warn me and walk with me through these seasons. Consider that question. Part of our discipleship of Jesus is that we all receive his healing. There's an initial healing and then there's this ongoing healing. And so, church, let's keep walking with Jesus together. Next, once we receive his healing, and it's not, again, it's not like black and white, right? It's not like we receive his healing and then we move on to devotion and declaration. These things are so intertwined. So much of the Christian life is this messy mashup of like seeing the colors and the colors going outside of the lines, right? Then you turn a page and the next person is very dutiful and all their colors are in the lines. You turn the page and the next person didn't use any color because they don't like colors. This is part of the Christian life. Welcome to the family of God. And so as we receive healing from Jesus, this is a step of discipleship. Mary shows us this, that in the process of coming to Jesus, Mary and all these women that are following Jesus, in this process, they're receiving his healing. But I, I, I love how it shows that that healing does result in devotion. Look at, before we go to the next passage here, continue to look at Luke 8 for a moment. It says, And Johanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, some powerful women who are following Jesus, influential women, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their own means. You see, even tied to this healing is this devotion, this response. Once Jesus has brought healing to us, our walk with Jesus then involves devotion. Once you've received a good gift, this is just true in life, right? Once you receive a good gift, how often do you want to repay? Grace is so hard to, so hard to accept, like undeserved favor, like unconditional love. But once you really receive a true, genuine gift, you want to respond in our, in our human flesh, we always want to pay somebody back, right? Like, oh, I got to get them something now. They sent me a card. Now I got to send them a card. Like, you know that, that like, ongoing process of thank you cards? <laughs> like, you get a gift, you send a card, they send a card. You, like, when, send a text, like, let me lower the bar a little bit now. Okay, I got a card. I, they got a text. They texted me back. Can I just stop? <laughs> right? Like, our flesh wants to repay. And, and there's something about that that is good and right and holy. That when we receive healing from Jesus, initial or ongoing healing, when he's invited us into this relationship with him, part of that receiving the gift of relationship and healing from him is that we respond with devotion. And you see here in Luke 8, these, these disciples are responding by providing out of their own means. There's a level of devotion. They're walking with Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're willing to give up their own stuff for the sake of others. Flip over to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to see some more of Mary and her devotion for Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 55. We're jumping now to a scene where Jesus is on the cross. Mary Magdalene is mentioned quite a bit in Scripture, but not in a whole bunch of different events. It's there when Jesus calls her, he heals her, and, and, and it tells us, like Luke tells us, that she's giving out of her own means for the sake of others. And then... Her devotion is seen so clearly in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. So this scene in Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross. Pick it up in verse 55. Matthew writes, There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from 
Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. See the strength of these women followers of Jesus? Many of the male disciples had abandoned Jesus and had left for fear of their own lives, for fear of being associated with this rabbi who they thought was going to be a political king, but now he's being crucified. Many of these women just stuck close to Jesus' side. There they were ministering to him, and Mary Magdalene is there. See her devotion? Once she's received Jesus' healing touch, she responds with this incredible devotion where she doesn't leave Jesus' side. She's there at the foot of the cross as he's taking his last breaths. Let's continue on. She doesn't leave at that point either. Verse 57. When it was evening, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. I want to pause here for just a second. There's this amazing side plot with Joseph of Arimathea. If you read all the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and then Jesus' burial, Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in every one. He's not mentioned earlier in the gospels. He's mentioned here. And John, in the book of John, it says that Joseph was a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jews. It's an amazing subplot of a man, and in one of the other gospels says that he was, oh, it says he was rich here in Matthew. All the accounts give a little different portrait of Joseph. Matthew says he's rich. Luke says he's a secret disciple. And one of the other gospel accounts, uh, John says he's a secret disciple. One of the other gospel accounts tells us that, that he, was, he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. So in Joseph, we see a man who had devotion at the very end, but who was a secret, afraid disciple for most of Jesus' ministry. Let me, let me finish reading this section, then we'll come back to Joseph for just a minute. It's an amazing subplot in the story that I want to just spend a moment talking about. Verse 58. Okay, so Joseph, this man from Arimathea, this rich man, who was also a disciple of Jesus. John tells us a secret disciple of Jesus. Verse 58. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting, were there sitting opposite the tomb. So to keep it with Mary Magdalene for just a moment, notice her devotion. She's there through this entire story. As Jesus is dragged to the Mount of Crucifixion, as he's put on the cross, as others abandon and walk away, Mary's devoted. She's there. She's listening to Jesus. She's watching Jesus. She's, she's mourning what's happening to Jesus. Jesus dies. They take him down from the cross. Joseph comes out of the weeds to put Jesus' body into the tomb, and Mary follows him all the way to the graveside until the stone is rolled away and Mary's there. Devotion, right? Amazing. You and I as disciples of Jesus, we should look at Mary and say, I want to be like that. I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. By the way, Thomas, who we talked about last week, ditched. Mary's there. She has this deep devotion and love for Jesus. And, and now just a moment on this subplot of Joseph of Arimathea, where it tells us in John that he was a secret disciple because he's afraid of the Jews. He's a well-to-do man. He's a rich man. He's, he has a powerful position among the religious elites. 
the very ones who called for Jesus' crucifixion. And so there's grace. What I want you to see here is that there's grace in the scriptures for those who are struggling with their level of devotion, but they're actually hiding in the weeds because they're afraid for people to know that they're a follower of Jesus, because they're afraid to lose their influence, because they're afraid to, to lose their power, because they're afraid of how others are going to think about them. Oftentimes we like to paint certain disciples in certain lights and say, like, this is what we ought to be, and yes, we ought to be more like Mary than we do Joseph. But Joseph of Arimathea is in Scripture listed as a disciple, and he's the man who at the last moment steps forward and gives of his own wealth to find Jesus a tomb so that Jesus' body wasn't thrown in the trash heap that they would burn like all the other criminals. But Joseph was not an upstanding man. Well, Scripture actually tells us he was an upstanding man, but he was a secret disciple. He was not sold out in following Jesus up until this moment. And that's part of the tricky thing of walking with Jesus together, right? In your pew, in your family, in your community group, in your spheres of influence, there's people who are on fire. Maybe they're like Mary. They're devoted. They're there all the time until the end. They're not wavering in their faith. And there's people like Joseph, who the people like Mary are judging. Like, stop being so wishy-washy and watery with your faith. Stop being lukewarm. And there's room in the family for all of us on the journey of faith. As we walk with Jesus, receiving his healing, responding with various levels of devotion, and like last week we saw a doubt, and declaration, and like last week we saw disappointment. So that's a subplot, that's a substory. I don't want to spend more time talking about Joseph of Arimathea, but I highly encourage you to just consider that and maybe extend grace to people who are maybe struggling with their faith or are maybe not willing to like be boisterous about their faith in the moment. Because it seems like Jesus was that way. And we're supposed to be like Jesus. Back to Mary. Mary has this incredible devotion. She walks with Jesus through all these stages of darkness that many others abandon him in. I want us to to observe that and to to imitate that. And so my question for us to consider this morning as we assess our own spiritual lives, are you walking in devotion to Jesus? Or do you need to redevote yourself to his ways? Like in this moment, in this season of life, could we go to the next slide there, Katie? Thank you. Are you walking in devotion to Jesus? Like right now, as you assess your life, and, and that may be, yeah, in this moment I am because I'm listening to the Bible and I'm really amped up, and then you may go to lunch and be like, I totally forgot about Jesus already. But, but kind of the trajectory of your life right now, could you say that, yes, I'm striving to walk in devotion to Jesus. I'm, tr- I'm trying to hold my hands, all of my things with open hands like Mary and give out of what I have for the sake of others. I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the joys, in all of these things. I'm trying to live my life in devotion to Jesus. Or, if you're honest with yourself, maybe this is a time for you to redevote yourself to his way. Say, you know what, I've slipped. I've actually been following the world a lot more. I've actually been giving into the cravings of my flesh a lot more. I've actually been allowing the devil and his influences to influence me more. And this is a time to drive a stake in the ground and redevote myself to following Jesus and to living my life in his ways. Spend some time this week in your groups 
in your homes, at coffee shops and restaurants, asking that question of yourself and of one another. Now, the third point here is that as we receive Jesus' healing, disciples respond with devotion like Mary, but also declaration. I want you to see how Mary moved now from this devotion to Jesus to being one of the key components, one of the key figures declaring the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so look at Matthew chapter 28 with me, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to see how Mary now declared, and if we could go to the next slide, how Mary declared the gospel. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Before we get into the declaration, one more point about her devotion. Amazing, right? She goes home for the Sabbath because you're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath. She was a good Jew trying to practice the Jewish laws and also receiving Jesus as the Messiah. And like they hadn't understood how Jesus as Messiah had shifted all this yet. They didn't know how to practice this new way of life yet. So she goes home on the Sabbath and and waits it out. And then when the Sabbath is done, she's the first person to go back to the tomb. This devotion. I want to go to the graveside of Jesus. I want to go pay I want to go pay homage. I want to bring the spices, make sure that his body is well taken care of. And so she is one of the first ones to get to the tomb. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and come and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. It's amazing, too, just a little side note here, that Jesus goes to Galilee. Galilee is like a throwaway backwoods town. It's a small village with uneducated people. A risen savior, a king who just overcame sin and death in the grave, should be going to Jerusalem to set up shop and write everything from the top down, not Jesus. He goes to the margins of society, to the marginalized people of society, to the small towns. He goes to Galilee and says, go there. I'll meet you in Galilee. I'll meet you in Iowa. Sorry for those of you from Iowa. Where was I? (laughs) Now I'm thinking about Iowa. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee, and there they will see me. See Mary's response here? Her devotion. She's there at the tomb. She's devoted to Jesus. She hasn't left his side. She's there at every opportunity that she gets. She comes to the tomb and and realizes Jesus isn't here. Something miraculous has happened. He overcame sin and death in the grave, and the angel says he is raised from the dead, just like he told you. Remember, he told you this day was coming. And Mary's there, and, and the angel says, Go and tell 
Go and tell. Go and declare this good news. Go and declare the gospel, the good news that Jesus is alive. Remember how he healed you, Mary? Remember how you gave your life to him and followed him through the highs and through the lows of life? How you stayed by him at his darkest days? Now go and tell the good news that he is alive. Yes, he healed you, but the ultimate news that you are to go and tell, Mary, is that this Jesus is alive. Mary doesn't go and say, he healed me, he healed me, he healed me. That's a great benefit for her. She has received that healing. All of us, we have great benefit in receiving healing from Jesus. But our mission is not to go and tell people necessarily what he did for us. That isn't the good news. That's part of the good news. But the good news is that he is alive. And so the angel says, go, Mary, and tell. And Mary goes quickly. She, she goes in this response to declare the gospel, the good news. And on the way, Jesus meets her. And what does she do? She shows her devotion again in verse 9. She takes hold of his feet and worships him. She takes hold of his feet and worships him. Disciples, they're devoted to Jesus They worship Jesus. They long to be at the feet of Jesus. They long to sing Jesus' praise. They long to be in relationship with Jesus. They long to know him and to be found in him. They long to live a life of devotion to him. And then they respond by declaring this good news. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee and there they will see me. So my question for us this morning is how, when, and where can you declare the good news of Jesus? If part of discipleship, our walking with Jesus is to receive his healing, assess that for yourself. Do I need to remember his past healing in my life or do I need to keep working? And it's probably yes to both, right? Remember what he's done, but keep working on things that you're working through. There's probably some, some, some sicknesses, some diseases, whether it's spiritually or physically, that you need healing from. And so keep seeking therapy in Jesus, amen? It's biblical. That's the word used by Dr. Luke. Therapeutic interaction with Jesus. You've received healing from him, and you continue to receive healing from him. And then we respond, assess, how is my, how is my devotion to Jesus? Do I need to recommit myself and re-up my devotion to him, or do I just need to keep walking in the way that I'm walking right now and have other brothers and sisters to help me keep going in that way? Notice that Mary didn't do this alone. She was surrounded by other women who held her accountable, her, who, who fanned her faith into flame. And then lastly, this declaration piece. How, when, and where can you declare the good news of Jesus this week? In word and in deed. In your actions, through your devotion to Jesus, but also in your gospel proclamation that Jesus is alive. He's the real deal. He came to set up a different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. And he's inviting people from the margins of society into this family so that they would receive healing, so that they could live their life with a devotion to something greater than their own pursuits, and that they could declare a good news. One of the reasons that we take communion every week at Park Community Church when we gather is to declare to one another who Jesus is, what he's done, And so when I ask this question, how, when, and where can you declare the good news of Jesus? What I want for you, what I want for this church family is when we gather together on Sundays, 
not for you to just hear some good music and an okay talk, but I want us to remind one another of the good news. We gather around the bread and the wine to declare to one another who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. These right here are symbols and reminders, the bread and the wine, a way that we declare as the angel tells Mary to go and declare that he is not here for he has risen from the dead. Before Jesus went to the cross, he sat with his disciples and he had a common meal and he said, from now on when you're together and you eat, remember me. Declare me to one another because you forget You forget that he's healed you and that he's in the process of healing you. Sometimes in your doubt and disappointment, you forget to be devoted, but you need other people who are in a different season to to raise you up and to show you what devotion looks like. And you forget that it's not your good works, but it's Jesus' good work that gave you salvation. And so church family, I want to invite you again as we gather every Sunday at Park Community Church to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ and to declare it to one another. There's a communion packet in the pew in front of you. If you're striving to follow Jesus and to walk with him, take that communion packet and open up that top layer and pull out the wafer. Jesus with his disciples as he is encouraging their walk with him. Luke, Matthew records, as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, he broke it. Why don't you take that wafer and break it in half? Jesus broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. He gave it to his family, his followers, his apprentices, striving to walk after him. That's you and I. And he says, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Let's eat together. And then go ahead and peel back that next layer. Matthew says, And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit again until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Jesus tells us to drink this in remembrance of him as he's waiting to be reunited with us. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you continue to do, and what you have yet to do. Lord, may we, may we imitate Mary's faith by receiving your healing and responding with devotion and declaration. What an incredible example we have here in the scriptures in Mary Magdalene. Lord, may I be found with a faith like hers. And Lord, I thank you for the little sprinkles along the way of people like Thomas who doubted and people like Joseph who was afraid to be associated with you until that moment when it really mattered. Lord, in our gathering this morning, we have people all over the map. 
So I thank you for meeting us in our doubt and disappointment. I thank you for meeting us in our devotion and our declaration when we're on the mountaintop, when we're in the valley, Lord, you are there. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus, we thank you that you overcame sin and death and the grave, that your body came out of Joseph's tomb on the third day, overcoming sin and death and the grave and granting to us new life. And so we celebrate you this morning. Have your way in us for your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. Amen.